we can know our partner is safe. This is a good person. But as women living with trauma, if our body doesn't feel safe in relationship with other, it's going to disrupt how close I can get, how close we can get to this other person. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Hello, my sex chick listeners. It's Bryn here, Brinsky, with another podcast takeover. And for those of you who are first-time listeners, I am the lead coach at Sex and Love Co., Alexa's right-hand woman. And I've been on the show a couple of times. This is not my first takeover. And it is always such a pleasure to be here talking all things sex, love, and relationships, especially with our lovely guest today, who's going to be broadening all of these points for us. My dear friend, mentor, soul sister, Oriana Joy. Oriana is an embodiment mentor, herbalist, doula, and trauma resolution educator. She guides individuals on the delicate path of cultivating aliveness and living a life free from trauma. Using her 15 years of personal inner work and spiritual growth combined with 10 years of professional experience in healing arts, she weaves an intricate web of awakening for those in devotion to their path of becoming. Today, we're going to be diving into trauma, how it can show up in sex, love, and relationships, how to navigate it, what it's like to navigate sex and chronic illness, sacred sexuality, and whatever the fuck else wants to come alive in this conversation. Um, I cannot wait to dive deeper. Oriana, hi, my love. Welcome. So good to have you. Oh, hello. Hello, sweet Bryn. Thank you for that introduction. I'm so happy to be here. Mm. And I'm lit up with aliveness hearing all the ways we might touch on sex, sexuality, aliveness, becoming. I'm really excited for this conversation. Me too. And um, yeah, it's just such a joy to get to connect with you on this level because our relationship's been pretty multifaceted. We've, we are friends. You've been a mentor of mine. I've taken your program, Trauma and Somatics. I've seen you in action at a women's circle. Um, I've just seen you in so many different facets and also paving the path for um, women such as myself to really follow their own heart and just the way that you've led your life so vulnerably. So I can't wait to dive into more vulnerability with you today. Hmm, thank you. Let's do it. So I know I gave you quite the meaty introduction, but I'd love for you to just touch on what else, if anything else, would you say is Oriana? How would you like to be introduced to our listeners today? <laughs> That's always such an interesting question, right? Because moment to moment, we're ever changing, ever evolving. It's kind of like the question, how are you doing? It's like right. oh, one moment to the next <laughs> could have a completely different answer. So Ariana, in this moment, you know, I um, yeah, I'm an embodiment mentor, a somatic teacher, a trauma-informed sensitive care educator. Um, like you mentioned, we have the program Trauma and Somatics. And, you know, I really am in devotion to living life fully. And for me, that has not always been easy. 
I had a chronic illness growing up that started around puberty and it was, it was really hard to put it simply, you know, and, and there were lots of moments where being alive, being in a body, being an erotic being was extremely challenging. And yet there was always this part of me that knew that there was a way through. And I learned early on that the best way out is through. And so I've made that my path of personal study and professional work is to meet life as it is, what's here, and to receive it, welcome it even, and to let it be the teacher and the lesson. And so a lot of my embodiment journey, my sexuality journey has come through facing the hard things, facing the things that would be so much easier in many ways not to look at, not to turn towards. And choosing to do it anyways, and letting that be the path of my own evolution. Mm, I love that. Um, gosh, every word you were saying, I'm like, oh, I want to double click on that piece and that piece. <laughs> because I, I fully agree. The only way out is through. And I'd love to actually take that and make it more tangible. So when we're talking about challenges, I imagine, it, maybe not, but I imagine part of what you're talking about is trauma and how trauma shows up in your life. And I would love to hear your definition of trauma and how it can manifest for most people. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the definition of trauma that I work with as a somatic practitioner comes from Peter Levine, who's the creator of somatic experiencing. And he pulls from many other experts and many lineages and wisdom keepers. So it's, it's, you know, a, a, a group effort, this, this definition of trauma, which essentially says that trauma lives in the body. Trauma is not in the event. It's not in what happened. In, in the mainstream, often we'll talk about certain events as that was traumatic or that was traumatizing, but we really have to look at the body and how the body handles the intensity of that stressor in order to say whether there was actually trauma or not. Because sometimes we can have an intense experience and we have enough resiliency, we have the right support, and we're able to move that through our system with relative grace and ease. It doesn't mean it's not intense. It doesn't mean it's not challenging, but it doesn't linger, right? And so that's the distinction is trauma is the lingering psychosomatic impact of stress. Mm -hmm. So when something stressful happens and it essentially gets locked in the body, and lingers over time, it starts to manifest as physical symptoms, mental and emotional challenges, relational challenges. And that is what we call trauma in somatics. Mm, I love that. And can you also, because our listeners may not know what somatics means, can you go ahead and define that for them too? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. The most literal translation we have is the body. Yet in ancient Greece and in many indigenous natures, there was no distinction between the body, mind, and spirit, right? In the West, we live in this very reductionist society that kind of separates these different aspects of our beingness. But in these ancient lineages, they were all seen as one. So the word soma more accurately translates to the living wholeness of our being. And that includes all of us, all of what makes us, us. Yes, it's the physical body and it's also our emotional body, our spiritual body, the way we relate with the world, the way we are able to be intimate with ourselves, with others, with life. And so it really includes, it's the, 
it's an all encompassing word that includes everything it means to be human and to be alive and in a body. Mm, I love that. That's so much more expanded than I've heard most definitions of somatics in the past. Um, and I'm going to ask a question that maybe it's a silly one, but I want to know, would you say that it's safe to assume that every human has experienced trauma on some form, some, some form? Not a silly question at all. And you ask different trauma experts and somatic practitioners, and everyone's going to have their own opinion on this. However, my opinion is we all move through this life and encounter stressors and things do get locked in. So based on that definition of trauma being that which lingers, yes, I would say all of us have trauma. Now it may not be there's um, this conversation around big T traumas and little T traumas. And actually right. in somatics, we don't use that context because we don't see anything as more or less than, mm. but to use that model of big T traumas, right? That would be like sexual abuse or war, things like that. We may not have experienced those yet. We still experience stress and modern humans are more stressed than, you know, a lot of our uh, people who've come before us, right? Our ancestors. Mm-hmm. And living in the modern world is stressful. Just being here alive today in 2021 is a stressor on our physiology. And there are many times when we have the impulse to do one thing and we don't get to. And so that impulse gets locked in. And an example that I like to use is for many of us who were in the public education system, as children, we're excited. We want to play. We want to touch everything. We want to engage with life. And we're told to sit down and be quiet. So that energy has to go somewhere. And where it goes is it kind of gets trapped in the body and it starts to cycle. So yes, and right. We might not have had these significant, what we would traditionally call traumatic events, yet we all hold stress in our systems Mm. and it manifests in very unique ways inside of each of us. Mm, So, so good. And yeah, I, I, I've seen this awakening in just the current population to more and more people becoming alive and aware of what they would now consider as traumas and starting to work through them by taking action and working with a somatic practitioner such as yourself and going to the body. So it's really powerful for me as a coach seeing what people are now able to work through and to create peace and clarity and ease in their nervous system. I know you taught me a lot about that. And so I'd love to double click now and zoom in on how this affects relationships, right? Because that's where our listeners are at is they are either in partnership or potentially desiring partnership. And um, our romantic partnerships are such a big part of our lives, right? And our traumas, they are the lens through which we may see things, whether we realize it or not. And so I'm so curious how an individual's traumas may manifest and show up in their relationships. Like what are some ways that you may see that start to unfold? Yeah, this is, this is a great question as well. And to answer it, I'm going to kind of meta out to like a bigger picture concept and then zoom into um, some more specifics. And so to start off, all of life is relationship. All of life is relationship. There is self and there is other. Other might be a romantic partner. Other might be 
an idea. Other might be, um, you know, a, a, a place, a location. Other might be our pet, right? There is always self and then there is other. That's the duality of the, the, um, the reality that we live in here as humans on planet Earth. And so the quality of our relationship to life and our ability to be intimate with life is in direct reflection to how much capacity we have inside of ourselves to be present in the moment, right? So trauma disrupts our ability to be present. Mm. So to kind of zoom this in, when we're in the bedroom with our partner or a lover, we know the quality of presence versus not being present. We know what it's like as women to be in our head, (laughs) right? And that it makes a huge difference as to how we experience that intimate moment, whether we're present and in our bodies or not. And trauma disrupts that. And that plays out in all of our relationships all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So basically I, I talk about deepening intimacy with life. That's really one way that I've come to know somatic work is it allows us to open deeper to what's in front of us, to other And in that way, we're able to cultivate greater intimacy. We're able to receive the benefits of that. We're able to give the gift of that. And so trauma disrupts how present I can be here in this moment, whether I'm driving in the car with my partner or I'm, you know, we're making food in the kitchen or we're making love. It is all dependent on the the quality of the experience, all dependent on how present I can be. So, you know, trauma can start to show up in various ways around, um, you know, it's really about feeling safe. I would, I would say, how safe do I feel? And not cognitively, we can know our partner is safe. This is a good person. Maybe we did a background check when we started dating, right? It's like, we can know that this, this is a good person, but as women living with trauma, if our body doesn't feel safe in relationship with other, it's going to disrupt how close I can get, how close we can get Mm -hmm. to this other person. Yeah. I am thinking about as you're sharing that, I'm like, well, what are some of the ways that that's shown up for me? And for so long, I was holding tension and constriction specifically in my pelvis. And I will still notice it to this day where, because it's not something that I think I'm ever just completely rid of, but it's more now just a, an awareness that when I'm holding my breath, holding my body, clenching down on my pelvis, it's a, a flag of, oh, there's something that you are um, feeling unsafe around. And it happens so quickly. That's the amazing part is I almost never catch it as it's happening. It's in retrospect, but I'll notice, wow, you've been like bearing down that whole time. How can you open and breathe and relax into your body and communicate that way that my body is safe? So I'm curious, is that what you would constitute as a trauma response, like this tightening and clenching, or is that me just being aware to what's happening in my body doesn't necessarily correlate? Yeah, I would say it's a stress response for sure. Mm. For sure. Um, Whether it's a trauma response 
we'd have to kind of get in there and, you know, and yeah. explore it thematically. Um, but yeah, so as, as animals, right, we are, we humans are animals and we forget that we, we often in our modern culture, think we're above nature and because we've <laughs> got these higher thinking brains and we can rationalize and, you know, be logical and all of that, that we're above our animalistic nature, but our, or our organism as a species has been developing for millions of years, right? And so there is a lot of history that lives inside of our cells. Our cells remember. Our cells have this fantastic intelligence about them that remembers things, right? And that's how we've been able to stay alive as a species is because uh, the wisdom of the elder gets passed on to the offspring. And as organisms, we have different ways that we self-protect. When we feel a stressor or a threat in the environment, as humans, we will often lean towards fawn initially, which is essentially people-pleasing tendon befriend. When we feel stressed, we will often try to vacate the situation in order to mitigate the intensity and hopefully not have it turn into something further. If mm. the fawn response doesn't work, we will then, as an organism, and this is all unconscious, right? This all happens at the level of our autonomic nervous system, mm -hmm. right? So it's automatic, it's unconscious, we're not thinking about it. So if the fawn doesn't work, will then move towards a flight response, which means get the hell out of there, yeah. right? And if the flight response isn't available for whatever reason, we'll then turn towards fight. So mm -hmm. we will try to protect ourselves from the threat. If the fight response doesn't work, we'll then go down into shutdown or freeze. So this is a generalization and a high level overview of the self-protective responses. There's a lot of nuance here and how each organism uh, how we cycle through our own stress responses is completely unique. Mm -hmm. We often say that our nervous systems are as unique as our fingerprint, right? So no two nervous systems are going to cycle through stress responses in the same way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you talked about bracing and holding your breath and all of that. And in my previous partnership, um, we started my partner who is also a somatic practitioner. We started tracking this, the way that my system, when he would walk into the room again, completely unconscious, he's a great guy on paper. I trust him. Like logically it was completely at the level of, um, my nervous system. When he would walk into the room, my body would brace as a woman who lives with a history of sexual trauma. My nervous system was intelligently saying, Hey, Remember last time that happened, pay attention now was basically mm -hmm. what my body was saying. So um, my body was essentially tracking him as a lion in the room, you know, <laughs> tracking him as a threat. Mm -hmm. And I tried to logic my way through that all day, tell myself, but he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. Which, which was really helpful in the moment, right? It's a great useful technique to um, a great maintenance technique rather to in the moment, remind the Soma I'm safe, like he's not a threat. And yet the goal with somatic experiencing and somatic healing is to complete that stress response that was cycling, that was having my body trigger, hey, he's a threat in order to complete it so that I didn't have to keep having that bracing happen. So that's the power of somatic healing is yes, it's useful in the moment to what we call top down mindset affirmations, tell ourselves, you know, a, a new story and things like that. But what I had to do was retrain my nervous system, how to respond to a male bodied being. Wow. That's such a perfect example because I hear different flavors of that when working with women of 
for example, had a previous client who every time she, her partner would touch her, right. To go to, um, initiate sex. She had a previous sexual, uh, trauma happen. And even though this was her husband, she loved him. She loved having sex with him. Just his touch was enough to shut her down and to go into a trauma response. And it was infuriating because she loved him. She wanted to have sex and her, her body was just overriding that for her. And so I love that you shared another example of that. And it doesn't have to, in fact, it's usually not logical. That's why we have to go into the body. And I loved the, the naming of the different, um, fun fight, no fun, fun flight. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Trying to remember the order because um, actually a couple of days ago, I had something pretty, um, intense happen where I was taking my dog out in the middle of the night. He's getting older. He can't hold his bladder as long. And it was ACL weekend here in Austin. So there's a lot of people that come in for this big music festival. And it was early in the morning. Um, I'm taking him out. I am like not paying attention to my surroundings. I have my phone. It's like 4am he's peeing. And I start to feel like someone is watching me. And out of the corner of my eye, I see two men sitting on the staircase, maybe a couple of feet away from me. And they are smiling and staring and they look completely out of their minds, not sober. And my first thing that I said to them was hi. I said hi. And I smiled. And it wasn't until you know I was in the safety of my own home because immediately after I said hi and smiled, I, I started to run. Like I took my dog and I ran towards my apartment. And I had a response afterwards where I was shaking. I was letting my body like dispel this energy. And all, none of this was conscious. And it was so interesting to watch in retrospect. I'm like, what in the world was I doing saying hi? But it happened so quickly. None of it made sense. And then in your explanation of that, I'm like, oh, I literally just went through the different stages of how to respond to a traumatic event. So just really interesting to hear that compared with a real life situation that just happened. Yeah, absolutely. As women in the Western culture, you know, generally there, again, there's nuance in everything, but generally we are conditioned to have a very strong fawn response. When I started doing somatic work, I worked with a somatic um, sexuality mentor for a couple of years, private mentorship. And somewhere in our work together, I started to realize that I would smile at men, even when I didn't want to. When I was out and about running errands, picking up groceries, grabbing food, whatever I was doing, that my system would brace and I would smile. And I would kind of put on this soft feminine, like um, we call it doe eyes is part of the fawn response, right? Like kind of like like showing the belly energy, Mm -hmm. like I'm not threatening, right? Mm -hmm. And what I realized was my system was chronically feeling threatened. And I had no idea until Mm -hmm. I started to do somatic work, how often my system was signaling to me, Hey, potential threat. Right. And part of this is intelligent. And I'm sure we talked about this during trauma and somatics when you did the training, something I always return to with somatics is everything is intelligent. Everything is intelligent and it's illogical until we understand the map of how the human organism and nervous system works. Our nervous systems are wired for survival first and foremost. So our nervous system will always make decisions for us 
if it feels threatened, if it feels like its survival is threatened, right? So it's not logical. Why, why was I smiling at those men? Why did you say hi to those men? Right. It's like, wait, what, what just happened yet? We've been conditioned that that is the safest way to be because oftentimes it is. Mm. Yeah. There's this sense of, um, almost relief in hearing that, right. Of like, Oh, and you actually said this to me once where I was having, uh, I was working through a challenge at a party and I came to find you and you said something along the lines of your body was so wise to know, to come and find someone that can help you co-regulate. And I'll never forget that because it was such a sweet moment of, um, like giving myself some grace of gosh, just because this is happening and I'm not enjoying my response my body is so wise. And how can I just thank her for helping me to do what she thought was the safest in that moment? And so I love that you named that. So I want to go back to, we were starting to talk about presence and how trauma robs us of our ability to be present with our partner, with life, with any relationship. And I'd love to talk about what are some like beginning steps to be able to cultivate presence within oneself and to be able to start to go into the body? You gave us so many great um, tools and ways to regulate in trauma and somatics. And I'd love for our listeners here that are saying like, gosh, I'm always stuck in my head during sex, or I'm constantly trying to go to um, like what I need to do later on in the afternoon, like while my partner and I are be intimate, how can they start to cultivate more presence? Hmm. Yeah. Such a good question. You've got great questions. Brenda. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I could talk about this all day with you, truly. <laughs> same, same. So presence. Yeah. I have a practice that, that I often teach my students, which is called, I just call simply the, what is practice? What is, what is in this moment? And maybe for the people who are listening, we'll just pause for a moment and just notice what you notice. It might be a sound. It might be a texture on your skin. It might be an emotion. It might be an impulse. Maybe your body wants to move. Just noticing. So this is the first step. We live in a world that has conditioned us to perceive reality in a distorted way, right? And this is not necessarily anyone's fault. It's just how we've developed as humans. There's a lot of philosophers and wisdom keepers who have theories on all of this, and I won't go into that today, but it, what is, is we don't perceive reality accurately. That's what is. And so when we start to slow down, and pause and get curious and ask ourselves, what is in this moment, we can start to perceive reality more accurately. And it is a practice. It is a practice for a reason because it's, it's something that is cultivated and deepened over time, right? Mm -hmm. I've been practicing somatic work for going on five years now, and it is still deepening for me. This is the cool thing about somatics is that the body is just this infinite well of uh, wisdom and gifts and grace. And there's just always more, right? Um, but when we first turn towards the body or turn, turn towards the moment as it is, it can be a little disturbing. There's a reason why oftentimes we don't live in the present because what's present can be challenging to be with. 
right? Especially if there's unintegrated trauma in the system. So turning towards what is and allowing ourselves to be honest about how it is to be with that, right? So I'll often ask my clients, what do you notice? (laughs) Anyone who's ever worked with me knows that I will ask that question a thousand times. (laughs) What do you notice? And then how is it to notice that? So what I notice is a warmth in my belly. I feel this kind of thread of connection between you and I, as we sit here on the screen, I feel a smile on my face and it's pleasant to be with these things. So then in that way, we start to kind of pull off the lenses of conditioning and we stop the goal. Again, it's a practice over time is to stop telling life what it should be. Mm right? That's often where our suffering comes from is we don't want what is, Mm. right? And, you know, there are obviously certain situations that where this doesn't apply, right? Like, like a traumatic event, but outside of those specific traumas and intense stressors, when we start to deepen into the present moment and kind of move past the turbulence of our conditioning, we find ourselves in a place of peace ultimately. And I had an ayahuasca vision one time that showed me how this works, where I was, I was an airplane. (laughs) I was the airplane and I was taking off, right? Taking off is like turning towards myself, turning towards the present moment, asking what is being honest about how it is to be with that. And then going up through the clouds and having this turbulence and and shaking and quaking and anxiety and, oh my God, am I going to get through it? And then the way out is through. Mm -hmm. And eventually we pop up out of the clouds and then we're smooth sailing from there and it's all sunshine. And that's how somatic work and deepening presence can be. It can feel like a little bit of turbulence up front, but if we stick with it and um, I'll get to this concept called titration in just a minute, but if we stick with it, then that's when we get to the other side. And that's when we receive the gifts that all these ancient wisdom keepers have been talking about for millions of years, right? Mm -hmm. The ecstatic bliss, the nirvana, the, um, you know, the pleasure of presence, that kind of thing. So the distinction here that is often missed in embodiment work is this concept of titration. And what titration means is essentially moving really slowly. So specifically when working with trauma, we can only move as fast as the slowest part of us feels safe to go. Mm. Right. So when I started realizing how much my body was bracing in response to my partner, I was mad about it. I was irritated. I felt betrayed by my body. I wanted to just get over it quick. I mean, I drank the medicine. I did the hypnosis. I did, you know, I was like, whatever I need to do to like get through this so that I can have great sex again, because it was definitely impacting our sex life. And what I realized was that I could override and there were definitely moments when I did, but it didn't resolve the issue. In order to resolve the issue, I had to slow down and move at the pace that the slowest part of me felt safe to go. And what was, is that annoyed the shit out of me for a while, but eventually I accepted it. (laughs) I accepted that in order to complete this and have it be truly resolved that I really needed to slow down. And so I did. And so what we would do, so my previous partner, Will and I, we would uh, call it, so we're both trained as somatic experiencing practitioners. 
And we would call it somatic experiencing the X-rated version. We would call it SEX. <laughs> and so we would do somatic experiencing in the bedroom. And anytime my body would brace, we would stop hmm. and we would be with it. And we would, sometimes I would cry. Sometimes I would shake. Sometimes I'd growl because I was frustrated. Sometimes I'd be like, I'm done. I need to go take space. And I would go sit in front of my altar. Right. And we never, we didn't push it. We stopped pushing past it. And eventually that bracing, I was able to start to move through it on my own in the moment, Mm -hmm. but it was only because I built the capacity to be with it. And my body started to trust that I, and I started to trust my body. We can say no. Learning to speak up was extremely challenging to say, you know what? I'm not ready for you to enter me. Or actually I would really love this kind of intimacy tonight. Right. Instead of just kind of going with what I thought he wanted. Mm. And it was, it, it required both of us. It required both of us showing up to the table in order for this healing to happen but it was incredible what happened over time because the first blip of intensity, my whole system would start to shut down initially. Right. And over time I could feel that intensity. I could feel the bracing and then I could breathe and I could move through it in a way that was integrative and not dissociative. So, so good. That entire clip just there. I imagine there are so many people who will benefit from that entire process you just shared because gosh, it's self-included. How many times I have said yes, when I've actually been a no, where I've done something to please a partner, where I've gone through the motions and this, this is the work. It's not always sexy. It can be frustrating as hell, but the work is having a person that cares about you and loves you that can stay in the moment with you that can notice as you are also noticing changes in your body language and can say things like, Hey, do you need a break? Or you stepping forward and saying, let's slow down, let's pause. Um, because either I need something different. I need more slowness. I need to stop altogether. Like, fuck yes. Let's normalize that kind of sexual situation Mm -hmm. because it is so, so powerful what you just shared. So thank you for that. Y'all, I have a confession. I'm a bona fide biohacking broski. I want you to know ski. Mm-hmm. That's funny. What is biohacking? So biohacking is hacking the system of one's biology, the art and science of doing so to become the most badass, amazing, awesome version of myself. I hear the word optimization. Ah, there. yes. Yes. And mm-hmm. so as your partner as the partner to a biohacking broski, I've seen Jordan do so many different weird ass things Mm -hmm. from getting into water filled with ice and then jumping into a hot box and sweating it out (laughs) to sitting on the couch with a contraption on his head that shows different lights over his eyes and plays different binaural beats in his ears. Um, I know everything from sunnier testicles outside and just all kinds of interesting things that help you hijack the system and be a better version of yourself. Yes. And there's one thing that every single freaking day 
I experience you do that is in the biohacking space. And that is spend no less than 40 minutes making your coffee every morning. Yeah, I biohack the shit ski out of my coffee. So, and I, this is the foundation really of my biohacking practice. I've been doing it for almost a decade now. And so my coffee's on steroids. I, it's my breakfast. I put all kinds of stuff in it. It's very calorically dense, all kinds of healthy fats, MCT oil, grass fed butter, uh, cacao powder, collagen protein, mushroom adaptogen extracts, turmeric, you name it. Mm. And when we first got together, I was also doing, I would say a version of that with my coffee. And I did it for a while. And I really enjoyed the way that my brain and my body felt. And then eventually, as many of y'all know, I've spoken about it on the shows that I've been dealing with some gut challenges and healing holistically. Um, I also have spoken about on the show that I struggle with anxiety, sometimes way more than others. And so as time has gone by, I've been trying to keep up with Jordan and his biohackiness and his <laughs> supercharged coffees in the morning. And we've just realized that that's probably not serving me at this stage in life. And, but the thing is, I love coffee, like love, love, love coffee. I love something warm in the morning. I love the feeling. And, um, I, dare I say I have anxiety about my coffee and then I wind up having more anxiety if I don't have it. And then I have even more anxiety if I do have it. And so my questions to myself are like, how do I support my gut, my brain, my body, and lessening stress and cortisol in my system, how can I still do that um, in a way that is healthy and supportive to me? So Yeah. So we recently started using something called Dose. Mm -hmm. And it's a powder that has like a small amount of coffee in it. It's got lion's mane, chaga, collagen, uh, sun theanine, and just a bunch of stuff that does the things you just described. Exactly. And so you are putting a lot of those extracts in your coffee already, plus the fats and all of that. And so mm. I've now found at Everyday Dose, their mushroom latte is a way for me to get a lot of those adaptogens and nootropics in the form of a warm drink that feels a lot like my morning mm. coffee. Of course, it has a little bit of a different taste. It's kind of like light coffee with like a kind of chocolatey flavor to it. Mm -hmm. And I froth milk and I put it in there. And so that's what I'm having to support my system. That's a little bit different. So I can still be a biohacking babe, Come on, my but not like a strung out <laughs> biohacking babe. <laughs> and Alternatively, on the flip side of this, Jordan, we have everyday dose and he adds that shit to his coffee. To everything I already do. So it's yeah. like I double down on it because I yeah. metabolize coffee really well. And a lot of people do it and a lot of people don't. And so you and I really represent two very distinct populations of sorts people that are sensitive to coffee and people that like do coffee very well. And yeah. so this works in both those scenarios. I'm a big fan. For sure. And I think a lot of people drink coffee regardless, because it's such a ritual in the morning totally. and it's very meditative every mm. morning. But I think that studies have shown that about half of the people that drink coffee are sensitive to it. Yeah. And mess with their sleep, gut, um, anxiety, a lot of those things you're talking about. Absolutely. And we're starting to think that I might be in that category. So yeah. anything that we can do that supports me being in flow, being chill, all that. Um, and feeling like my best self, like I have access to my best self and I can regulate my nervous system. Then we're going to be doing that. And I know for Jordan, he's got limitless energy and he looks like a Greek God. <laughs> and so for him, he adds him, that baby. shit and, and it works for him. So, um, we've recently partnered with everyday dose, mm -hmm. which is super cool. And so for all of you who might want to give it a try everydaydose.com, the code that sex chick, you'll get 20% off of anything that you order. And, but they also have these really cool starter kits that have this like cool canister. Um, and it has like this cool spoon and a cool cup and the starter kits are already discounted. 
add that sex chick on top of it and you get an extra discount. So you'd wind up with, I think, like 55% off of your first order. Um, and something else that I, I'll mention here is that this is a, a mushroom elixir that doesn't taste like dirt. Yeah. I love it. It's so tasty. So, um, and of course there are recipes on their site where you can add other things to make them so, so much more flavorful, um, and robust and, um, and unique to you. So again, everydaydose.com code mm. that sex chick. If you want to give it a try. Mm-hmm. And last thing I'll say is the branding is cool. Just like the oh, company yeah. is cool. Dose it stands cool. for dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and the last one, endorphins. Endorphins. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Check them out, y'all. Give it a try. I'd love to, I don't want to like go into it too much more because I think you covered it so beautifully, but do you think there's even any more pieces we could pull out of that for, let's say, as the individual that has the trauma response, right? So in your case, it was your body would tense up and you would start to shut down. What is some of the language they could use? Um, Because I find that that's also a really hard part for people is they get really caught in their head. They don't know what to say. And that's when they sort of like bear down and will go through the motions. But what are some things they could say to their partner that would help them to navigate that situation? And then as the partner, how can you receive it with grace and love and compassion? Yeah. I am a huge advocate of working with a somatic practitioner when it comes to starting, especially if someone knows that they have unintegrated sexual trauma specifically. Totally. The, the practitioner will provide a containing force for the intensity and will be skilled in knowing how to work with it. So um, that's my first piece is huge advocate of uh, working with somatic practitioners around intimacy and sexuality and trauma healing. And another thing I would offer is practicing this outside of the bedroom. So do it in what we call a low stakes environment, right? Do it in your living room when you're both regulated, you're both feeling playful and curious. So curiosity is the number one indicator of regulation. When we can feel curious and playful with the moment, that's how we know our system is regulated. And there Mm. are sensations and things that come with that as well, often a softness or a warmth or a tingly or something like that. Um, But curiosity is really the primary indicator. So when both partners are, or both individuals are in a curious, open, available state, creating some sort of container, start with three minutes, five minutes, 15 minutes. We, in somatics, we talk about creating small asks of the body. Let it be easy, right? (laughs) Let it be easy. This is a marathon, not a sprint. So make it digestible for your nervous system, for their nervous system, Um, because this is work and requires effort on both parts, even for the individual who's, who's showing up in support of the individual doing the healing, right? So that's, um, That's what I would say. Low stakes environment, create some sort of container time bound and just practice noticing together. Practice noticing how it is to be in each other's presence and speak it out loud, right? In this moment, I'm noticing I'm really enjoying being here with you. And I know that I'm enjoying being here with you because of the smile on my face, because I feel that warmth and that tingly. And we we, one of my teachers calls it hooking the neocortex. So tracking what's happening in the body and then speaking it aloud helps our conscious mind to access it more fully. 
So that's the power of speaking it out loud to each other. And then in that way, those neural pathways are created so that in the moment when it's really needed, it's, it's already built, right? It's like mm-hmm. learning to, to lift weights, right? We start small and build up the muscle so that when we really need it and we really want to lift those strong weights, we have access to it. But if we start with the really strong weights, we might hurt ourselves. So it's the same thing with integrating trauma. We want to start slow, start small, moves, you know, move with, with presence and attunement that if someone starts to get activated, someone starts to shut down, that's our indicator that this is enough for today. And we let it be enough and we bless it. And we, you know, and again, it's a practice It can be frustrating at first. Um, but as much as possible, kind of holding the knowing that it's a slow and steady process can help to, uh, infuse the experience with more compassion and more playfulness and things like that and not get, not get caught up in it, not going the way we want. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, move, move slowly, you know, and, yeah. and, um, practice it in a space that feels right to do so. And then from there, you know, you mentioned words, right? What kind of word can people use? Sometimes there's not words and hand signals can be really great to start. So for me, I would use like a um, hand across the throat, like can't speak, right? Or like, it could be like hand up in front of us, almost like a no or a stop or that kind of thing. Um, So that's what we started with because I didn't, I would drop into a freeze state so quickly and it would be so disorienting to him. He didn't know what was happening. We're great, Mm -hmm. we're fine. And then all of a sudden something's happening and I would use a hand signal to say, we need to pause essentially. And you can agree upon that hand signal ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And again, practicing it in low stakes environments where it might not be a full no, but it's a not quite kind of thing. Like even like, what kind of food do you want for dinner tonight? Do you want a steak? Eh, It's kind of a iffy, I'm just going to do the no hand signal to practice that that's not something that is working for me in this moment. Mm -hmm. So, so good. I loved you're telling of just remembering to go slow. I think society has really, uh, in every sense, right, reinforced fast immediacy. And if it's not fast and immediate, then we don't want it. And I see that a lot in our coaching, right? I get to work with women where, you know, call one, they're frustrated because they haven't reached what they thought would be this immediate response. And so I love that you shared um, going as slow as the slowest part of you and really embracing that slowness. And I'm sure finding lessons in the slowness. And I love the hand signals too. I think that's a really powerful way to um, a tangible that couples can take to start to integrate in their practice and working with a somatic practitioner. I fully, fully agree. Um, it's, it's life-changing work truly. Um, so I'm so glad that you're sharing this with our audience today. and. Speaking of lessons, speaking of um, lessons that we don't always want to receive, but here we are, we are on this path. I know that you and I have shared similarities in having different chronic illnesses and how that has impacted our sex life. And I'd love to go down this path for a bit to talk about how chronic illness can impact one's sex life. We can talk as specifically as you'd like about your journey and just what it can look like navigating pleasure while being sick. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is a topic near and dear to my heart. And I know, I know you share some of 
of these experiences as well. So I'll provide a, a little context, I guess, for the listeners and then Please. go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mentioned, you know, kind of having symptoms and challenges early on. Um, I around 13, well, my first menstrual cycle at 12 years old was horrific. And I was put on birth control immediately and, um, ended up being diagnosed with endometriosis by the time I was 15. Um, told that I would, you know, the doctor said with certainty that I would have a hysterectomy by the time I was 23, Uh, I'm 31 and I still have my uterus. So thanks to healing work. Um, and you know, on top of that, I was also diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease. And with that came chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia, which is basically chronic muscle pain and tension throughout the body systemic. And um, yeah, all kinds of chronic migraines, digestive issues, all, all kinds of things. So, you know, my whole system was just completely out of whack. And then I, I did a lot of healing and was good, was in remission from Lyme for about six years. And then about two years ago, we moved to Austin, Texas and moved into a house filled with toxic mold. We didn't know this at the time. We lived there for about seven months before we discovered it. And then came COVID quarantine mandates. And we were, uh, we had to continue living in the house with toxic mold for about another five months after that. So we were there for about a year. And in that time, the mold just completely took over and caused a Lyme flare up. So I found myself in the midst of, you know, again, all of those symptoms, um, and extreme brain fog, extreme brain fog, um, emotional dysregulation. My body was just so stressed from its toxic load that everything felt so hard, right? Like putting clothes on, like lifting my head off a pillow some days was a huge feat, getting to the bathroom, feeding myself, things like that. So to say the least, our sex life took a hit, right? There just wasn't a lot of um, space inside of me for that. And, you know, there was also a trauma piece around this, a medical trauma, having a history of illness and having it reemerge. And then the collective trauma of COVID and the uncertainty of all of that. It was just like all the layers of my, my beingness were being hit with um, intensity. And I was so stressed. and. So one thing that I would offer for people who live with chronic illness or pain or are, you know, even, you know, it doesn't have to be chronic per se, just, just a something showing up is again, to move slow and to get creative, right? Get creative with intimacy and pleasure and sensuality. Not everything has to include erotic energy. Right. And that, that was one of the greatest discoveries for me when I started exploring sacred sexuality was realizing that intimacy does not equal eroticism, right? We can have a really intimate moment with a pet or a baby or a plant or, you know, right. And there, there can, yeah, I won't go down that rabbit hole. There's, there's this way in which we can be intimate with life without needing to penetrate or be penetrated. It's Mm -hmm. a soft presence. And when we're dealing with stress, intensity, chronic pain, trauma, sometimes that energetic being penetrated or being asked to penetrate can be a big ask and it can feel invasive and it can feel like too much. 
And so getting curious about other ways to engage sensuality, intimacy, and pleasure is a great place to start. So sometimes that means gentle massage, taking a bath together, laying on the grass together or the hammock together, playing with the animals together, reading a book together, right? There's all these ways that we can cultivate intimacy. And then from that place, we can start to expand into things that ask more of our system. And obviously, hopefully, as we heal and get better, we'll build more capacity to be with because erotic energy is intense. It's intense. And, you know, we often enjoy it when we have the capacity for it. But when we don't, it can feel like too much. So Mm -hmm. that's the thing is, you know, um, again, being with what is, being honest about, I would love to be erotic together with my partner tonight. Yet my system is saying that we can't do that tonight. That's too much. Mm -hmm. You know, that we would have to override in order to make that happen. And then feeling whatever's there about that. There might be some frustration. There might be some sadness or grief. Um, And this might be a longer term process, right? This might not just happen in one sitting. Um, I know I had to go through a whole grieving process for myself in this. Uh, But from that place, curiosity started to emerge. What else is possible? How else can we connect? How else can we enjoy each other's presence? How else can we cultivate intimacy together? And then by asking those questions and what we call following the aliveness, right? Follow what feels good. Follow what interests you. Follow what feels purposeful or like it matters, right? So my partner and I will, we would, um, we really connected in our intelligence and our, our cognitive. And so we would sit and have really deep philosophical conversations together. And that was incredibly intimate. And it was something that my body was available for. Right. So getting, getting curious, getting creative, there are all kinds of ways to be intimate and to be sensual and to share connection with self or other. I love that. And I mean, I've experienced it myself too. Just once the pressure was taken off of the erotic energy, sometimes just the pressure being removed made me more available for an erotic experience, right? (laughs) Right. It's like all of a sudden now, when I don't feel your penetrative energy and I feel more relaxed and in my body and able to be with what is all of a sudden there was space for eroticism. And I think it was maybe a post of yours that you had written once that I really loved about, um, because there's been such a movement on Instagram with, and I love these women and what they teach, but sometimes, uh, it drives me crazy. And I feel like we were picking up on the same thing that there's been such a movement to follow your pleasure, right? Like follow the pleasure, find the pleasure in every moment, pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. And sometimes pleasure just isn't a good option. It is not what the body needs or craves or is best for us. And so I'd love if you could actually just touch on that for a second about this movement towards pleasure and why that's not always helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So one of my somatic teachers, I believe it was uh, Arielle Gioretto. She's a somatic experiencing teacher um, and she is an expert in human sexuality. And she talked about how pleasure is stimulation, right? And our nervous system doesn't distinguish between good or bad. It just receives, there's no positive or negative to it. 
And so pleasure can be really intense in certain, you know, that pain pleasure threshold is real thin, right? Anybody who's into kink or BDSM knows that. And so it can go the same way that pain can turn into pleasure. Pleasure can easily turn into pain. And again, it's unconscious. It's at the level of our autonomic nervous system. And we aren't always at choice in that. We can learn to work with it. We can learn to influence it, but sometimes it happens really quick. And so I, at its foundation, I love the concept of move towards pleasure, you know, choose pleasure. Yet we have to be super, super mindful that we're not bypassing. That's what I would say is the biggest thing in that, um, you know, kind of, I call it <laughs> lovingly and slash jokingly, like the Om Shanti goddess movement, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, let's, let's definitely like orient towards pleasure and, you know, like look for the beauty and look for the grace in, in life and, you know, learn to feel it. Um, but to go from a deeply, a deep freeze state to experiencing ecstatic pleasure is a huge ask of the system. So I've seen so many women, myself included, started with jade egg practices and yoni wands. And like, when I started getting into sacred sexuality, I went straight for the core of it. I'm like, I'm going to like de-armor my cervix and I'm going to do all the things in my body. I actually had a super interesting experience where I used a yoni egg for, it was maybe like a week on and off my whole pelvis became incredibly inflamed. I got this full rash over my vulva, my hips, my, uh, my butt all the way up my tummy and my back down my legs. And basically my body was like, no, <laughs> like, we are not fucking ready for this. And I was so confused and so angry and so irritated and felt betrayed. And this was way before the somatics days, right? But if I could go back to my 23, 24 year old self and relay this wisdom that I have now, I would say, Hey, honey, your body's talking to you. You're moving a little bit fast. Let's take this as a message to move a little bit slower. And uh, yes, let's let's keep oriented towards pleasure, but let's also meet the moment as it is. Let's honor what's here and let's move at the pace that your system feels safe to go so that we can move towards that place of living with more, more pleasure and joy. Mm. And this concept of being with what is, it's simple, not easy, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, if I could summarize this entire podcast, it is truly like be with what is with yourself in relation to life, in relation with others and meeting yourself where you are at with grace and compassion and learning how to feel what is present for you in the moment. And then how to speak it in relation to others. We're talking about this like it is, you know, because you're truly masterful in the subject, it comes out so gracefully. And I think we both know as being in the work, it's not always easy. And you've, you've reflected that. I know I've reflected that. Um, and gosh, what a ride to be human. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, sister, indeed. And I, I like to make this distinction because it helped me so much on the journey is that while it may not be easy, we can cultivate a sense of ease. Mm. Right? So there is a distinction between easy and ease. Yeah. And I like to use the image of easy is walking in the park and it's a paved path and there's ducks and little dogs. And it's like, you know, you're just like hanging out, walking in the park and ease comes when we're a little bit challenged. There's a little bit of a stressor on our system. And that's like taking a hike up a mountain. 
right? It's, it's intense, but we can learn to do it with this smoothness inside of us, right? Anyone who's ever hiked a mountain, you know, you, there's this, there's this way that we can try to, you know, forcefully climb the mountain and make it happen. And then we're probably going to like be out of breath and, you know, like every so often we need to pause and we need to take in the vistas and we need to slow down. And we like a hike is again, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so there's this way that the, the challenge doesn't change. It's not that it stops being challenging, but we can have this sense of ease as we are walking the mountain, so to speak. Mm, that's such a beautiful distinction. And earlier you were talking about, you know, how we suffer when we are in disagreement with reality. And I think that's where the ease conversation comes back into play, right? This, when you're not arguing with what is, when you're not arguing with your current reality, you can find ease. And that can be applied in so many parts of our lives currently, whether it's the pandemic, what you're facing in your current relationships, what you're facing with your body and your sexuality as you're trying to work through certain challenges, um, just an acceptance of where you're currently at while still being on this path towards something that you desire. Such a delicate and beautiful dance. So thank you for that distinction. That was really powerful. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. So as we round this podcast out, there have been so many amazing tidbits and I just love to leave. Is there anything else that is burning a desire of yours to share that you'd love to leave our listeners with? Hmm. Let me just check in for a second. Yeah, my more my more esoteric parts are coming through of just remembering that this is all an experience, right? And we get so attached and it's not our fault because we're not taught how to live with non-attachment. <laughs> we're not taught how to live with this soft hold on life, right? We often grip, um, we, we grip and we grasp and we pull and we try to force, right? And, and just this, remember, it's just an experience. One of my mentors told me that really early on when I remember I was like, I don't know what to do. I feel like I forget the specifics of the situation, but I just remember going to her and being like, nothing makes sense. It all feels hard. Like, I don't think I'm built for this. And she was like, Ariana, it's all just an experience. And when we learn to cultivate that eternal witness, right, that um, the one who watches we can start to experience more ease and remember that the only constant in life is change, right? This is also changing. That's one of my favorite mantras. When things start to feel sticky or hard or overwhelming or confusing, it's like, this is also changing. And as we grow in our capacity to be with those intense and less pleasant or less desirable experiences, we also grow in our capacity to be with joy and creativity and connection and intimacy and beauty, right? So it's, it goes, as we increase in one direction, we increase in the other direction. And so, you know, just for, for all of us, as we navigate what it means to be human and to be on the path of becoming in, the, you know, 2021, as we sit here, um, almost on the threshold of 2022 is just remembering this is all just an experience and tomorrow is different. This, the next moment will be different. Mm. Yes. And what comfort can come from that, right? Just uh, an instant sigh of like, oh, if it's all changing, 
then it gets to be different in this next moment. I get to be different. The way I respond to it gets to be different if I so choose or if that's what I desire. So yeah, thank you for your wisdom, your time. Um, I'm so in awe of just the amount of wisdom your soul has um, received and has walked this this life in. I know you must have experienced many lives before this because you just, you know too much. <laughs> and I'm just really grateful for the um, lessons that you've given our listeners today. And I imagine that there will be a lot of um, really just golden nuggets for them to take back and to impart in their own relationships and so that they can begin to cultivate more presence, more ease, um, more pleasure, if that's what the moment calls for. So thank you, my love. It was such a joy to have you today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.